0: The first reading tonight is from Psalm 138, and it's on page 444 of your Bibles. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. When I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. May all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O oh Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands.
1: And the second reading tonight is from Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, and that can be found on page 827. For this reason, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way.
2: Uh, Let me also add my welcome if you're uh, new or visiting amongst us. My name's Mark. I do uh, hope that you're able to stay around for uh, a little bit of supper uh, later on that we have the opportunity to get to know one another. Uh, The psalm that uh, Lynn read to us, that's where you want to be, Psalm 138. Uh, Please do flick back there. Thankfully, uh, the day has started to cool a little. Uh, You've probably all had your afternoon naps, and so uh, we're feeling ready and refreshed for God to address us. Uh, But how about we pray that God might speak clearly and into our lives. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we uh, thank you that you are the one who is exalted high above all. We praise you that you are the great and glorious one. And we're thrilled to know that even as great as you are, you chose to speak to us, you chose to reveal yourself to us that we might know you. And Father, we thank you for your word and ask that we would see the treasure and its goodness this night, uh, that by your spirit working within us that we would uh, love your word and love you and be reshaped in such a way that we would uh, live like Christ. Christ and live in such a way that pleases you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. I had the lovely opportunity yesterday of being involved in uh, Rob and Viv's wedding. Uh, for some of you who are, uh, are regular here, Rob and Viv are regulars here, and they uh, had a lovely. Hence, we've got the flowers still around, that lovely fragrance in the air, just a little reminder of the delight of weddings. Uh, weddings are delightful for lots of reasons, aren't they? Uh, not least. Weddings are the opportunity for, for public gratitude. It's, it's one of those opportunities where we can actually stand up and publicly say kind of thank yous in a way that we don't normally. You know, there's the service itself where we, we get to uh, give thanks for the gift and the good gift that marriage is and, and we share in delighting for the actual couple getting married and, and then you get to the, the reception uh, and then there are the speeches uh, where, you know, in a really nice but compulsory way, fathers say nice things about their children uh, and yesterday was really lovely. There, there was, you know, uh, you know, Viv's father spoke uh, some beautiful words about uh, his now son in law as he handed kind of responsibility over to him, thanking him for being a good and responsible man. And you know, couples then get up and, and they follow on and, and they give thanks for the day and they give thanks for uh, the support they've received and all the people who've come to join in the celebrations and they give thanks for each other. And, you know, it's a day of public gratitude. And it's really refreshing. You know, I um, I was I was happier for hearing the speeches yesterday. And it's so different, isn't it, to the the public whinging and moaning we often hear. Uh, someone told me they'd uh, watch an episode of a program, the Grumpy Guide to something or other. Um, I've not caught it. Uh, I understand it's a it's a solid half hour hour of British people whinging about the state of the world. Uh, yeah. Sorry? They are English, which means that, you know, the world's best whinges, except for us. Um, you know, the show could only be harder if it was done by Australians, wouldn't it? Uh, the person told me that they'd seen this program, and afterwards, they actually felt really flat. You know, they felt worn down by listening to a program, you know, a couple of witty things along the way, but really, it was, it was actually just tiring. Yeah, but public thanks, it refreshes us, revives us. Yeah, we, whenever we take uh, time in our, in our service together for that open encouragement, you know, once we get past that initial bit where no one feels like standing up and saying anything, once you push through that and a few people get up, isn't it? You, you go away warmed in heart, hearing of the good things that are going on. Yeah, and Psalm 138 is a chance for refreshment. So over over January, we're we're seeking to reorient our lives by the songbook that God gives us, the Psalms, uh, and Psalm 138 reorients us to be people of thanksgiving, people of gratitude. One big point that I want us to hold on to is that God is worthy of public thanks. God is worthy of public thanks. Uh, This psalm is a psalm of praise or thanks. Verse 1, I I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Verse 2, I'll bow down towards your temple and praise your holy name. Uh, Skip down to verse 4. Verse 4, may all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord. You know, he is writing a song, this, this psalm, because he wants to articulate he's got a great appreciation of God. Uh, the word that we have there used as praise can just as easily be, be thanks. It's the same word. Um, it's just who it's being directed to makes the difference. So if it's directed towards God, you'd say it's thanks. If it's directed towards others, you say it's praise. Um, what the psalmist is trying to do, he's trying to do both. He wants to thank God, but in a public way. He, he's doing it as praise. He wants everyone to know about it. Uh, and added to it, there's this kind of tone of um, a courtroom. There's a kind of courtroom scene going on, uh, which is strange in songs. Uh, but in the opening three verses, he, he acts like a witness. And he's standing and he wants to testify to the goodness of the Lord before all the, the gods. You know, verse 1, he stands against the, the ideologies and the, the religions of the nations in the world. And he wants to say wholeheartedly that it's the Lord who is worthy of thanks. Because before these false gods, he wants it known that it's the Lord who loves constantly in verse 2. It's the Lord's name there who is above all others. It's the Lord's word that is exalted above everything else. Uh, Because in verse 3, he has been emboldened by the Lord himself. See, like like a witness in a courtroom, he wants to stand and say in front of any other worldview, no, 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 only the Lord is worthy of thanks. He is good. I want to tell you about him. And then it moves from this kind of heavenly court to the the courtroom of the worldly powers. In verse 4 to 6, he he wants it known that God is worthy of thanks and praise before the most powerful of people. So in verse 4, he calls on the kings of the earth to join giving thanks and praise. It's it's a challenge laid down to these kings who are so used to power and, and don't know the Lord and don't acknowledge the Lord. It's a challenge to them to be humble rather than think of themselves as supplying you know, their own greatness and power, but to actually join in giving thanks and praise to the one who has given it. It's, it's a challenge to be humble. And the psalmist is calling the most powerful people on earth, give thanks to the Lord. Because in verse 5, it's the Lord's glory, glory that is great. Not theirs, it's his. The psalmist wants us to understand that God is is worthy of Praise and thanks, not just in the quietness of your own little heart and mind. You know, not just in the privacy of home. Psalm 138 doesn't have room for the, the private religion. If you've ever heard people talk about it, yeah, I've got religious beliefs, but I, I kind of keep them to myself. It's a fairly private thing. Uh, it's, you know, I don't like to impose it on it. No, no, no. Impose away. You know, God is worthy of thanks publicly. Uh, John Calvin put it helpfully. God has not prolonged the lives of his people that they may pamper themselves with meat and drink, sleep as much as they please, and enjoy every temporal blessing, but to magnify him for his benefits which he is daily heaping upon them. See, if we're going to reorient our lives according to to this song, this psalm, it means that we will bravely confess the goodness of God out there publicly. Psalm 138 is a a call to to make sure that God's praise and thanks is known. Uh, Let me suggest in a few ways. First, it means that we will be praising God before the gods and kings, before the the ideologies and the power brokers of this world. Uh, Many of you will know Scott Monk. He's a a member of um, our church, this congregation. Uh, He happens to well not only attend here, he's he's a journalist and an author. Uh, He wrote a cracking article recently in The Quadrant. Uh, if you're a subscriber, you, you may have read it. If you're not, you know maybe this is giving my due and encouraging you to. Uh, it was entitled "God Gave You Brains," uh, and in, Scott, uh, in Scott's article, he challenges Christians uh, in their various fields where they're the experts that they've got to stop leaving it to to Christian ministers or, or to the media to stand up and defend the reputation of Christianity. Instead, it's their responsibility to stand up for it. That Christian. Christian judges and Christian lawyers and, and doctors and historians and academics and, and scientists and business leaders and those in the media, they all need to, in their respective fields, be able to defend and explain how intellectual faith fits in. Because that's the psalmist's delight, isn't it? He wants to stand before the gods and talk about how great the true and living God is. He's not intimidated. You know, he, he wants to grab the ears of kings, You know, the people who shape culture, the people who hold power, you know, whether it's the media or the politicians or or Hollywood or the CEOs of our day, he wants to grab them and he wants to call them that they need to sing a new song, they need to be singing about the ways of the Lord rather than delighting in themselves. And that's a brave call, isn't it? Uh, To stand up in that kind of way against the the kind of ruling cultures and forces. Uh, Scott cites how in um, In response to September 11 uh, and the attacks there, uh, a full-page ad was run in uh, Oniswa, Sydney Uni's newspaper. Uh, And in it, the the article, I suppose the the ad put forward that that Jesus was one of the greatest figures in history, uh, that Jesus, you know, his claims to be the son of God actually stood up under academic rigour. And it was signed by 22 uh, senior academics from a variety of fields at the university. And it came under large criticism. You know, people said it undermined the objectivity and undermined the tolerance of the university because they stood there wanting the kings and gods to acknowledge one who is greater. You know, whatever it is that's uh, that your field of expertise professionally, whether it's uh, even a hobby, you know, your passion, you know, loads of coffee enthusiasts around here, whatever your passion is, Don't be intimidated to to leave the true and living God out of the picture. He is the one who gives good things. He is the one who's deserving of thanks publicly. Even the greatest need to acknowledge him. And he is the one who, in verse 3, gives us courage and stout hearts to do that. Because if we grasp what this psalm is about, giving God public thanks, yes, we'll do it out there, but, but it'll also mean that we're, we, we value and highlight praising God before one another. It will be the marker of our time together. Uh, in verse 2, um, I will bow down before, toward your holy temple. Yeah, it, the sense of that is that this psalm was to be sung in the forecourts of the temple rather than in the, the temple proper. That is, it, it was a song that wasn't tied to a specific sacrifice, a specific moment, but, but the kind of song that whenever you got together with everyone else, let's sing this. Let's publicly declare God's goodness and sing it together. You know, now we—I we, know—don't we? Don't gather at the temple anymore. We don't all have to hive off every Sunday uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, you know, Christ has come. We meet God in Christ. We meet Him in spirit and truth. The place doesn't matter. But we are still gathered to to thank and praise Him publicly. Uh, in in one, uh, one Peter two verse nine. Uh, it's explained why it is that we were called. Uh, we were called that you may declare, and in a the sense there is a plural, so if you like the Australian, use, go with that. Yous may declare the praises of him who brought you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Yeah? You'll gather that you might declare his praise. And the language used there is not the, the kind of that you quietly, you know, over a coffee, share it with your friend. It, it's It's temple language that's intentionally used there. It's about the idea of, what they did at the temple where they gathered to read the word, pray and sing and proclaim the praises of God. You know, we too are gathered for that. You know, just like we don't shy before, for kings and gods, we don't shy when we're together of speaking of the praise of God. Yes, we need to make it um, intelligible and sensible. If, if you're visiting here and you haven't been to a church before, we, we want to make sure you understand what's going on. It needs to be like that. But, but our focus is on proclaiming the true God. And His goodness and His greatness, Father, Son, and Spirit. You know, if we don't honour or God, or we don't help those who serve the gods of this age by by downplaying the Christ-centered element of what we do. We don't we don't help anyone by downplaying the spiritual element of our gathering. <coughs> uh, Emma was a, uh, uh, a raised-up atheist. Uh, she told a Christian friend who. Um, she'd met that, you know, I was raised an atheist, that's the way I am, don't try and convert me. Um, due to a friend's uh, child getting baptised, she came to church and, and just in the kind of ordinary, run-of-the-mill, normal church service of, of prayers and Bible and song and uh, a bit of creeds and, uh, and a sermon and some weekly notices, uh, she was struck by the spiritual feel of it. Yeah, and so she came back and, and she kept coming back And she she signed up to to join a course to find out about Jesus. And within uh, months, a, a confirmed atheist became a disciple of Christ. And what helped her? Just the ordinary, regular, week in, week out, confession of the greatness of God when we gather together. Because that's what we're called together to do. If we've grasped the wonder of this psalm and the greatness of God, we want it known out there, we we, we do it when we meet together, but but even more it means that we thank God as the pattern of our life. In in verse 1, the psalmist wants to give thanks with all his heart, wholeheartedly. He doesn't care what gods and kings thinks. Uh, His heart is consumed with gratitude and it overwhelms him. It's a really personal psalm. Psalm 138. Like, you could come up with lots of reasons why you choose to praise God, but but he theologizes from life. You know, he doesn't go, "Oh, look at creation. Isn't God worthy of praise?" There are psalms that do that, and he, and he doesn't go, "Oh, look at how God saved uh, Israel in the past. You know, why don't we?" No, he goes, "Look at how God has treated me, and that's why I want everyone to praise Him. That's why I want to let everyone know how good He is." Uh, in verse three, it's God who answered His prayers. Uh, in verse 7, it was God who, who stretched out his hand and preserved him. It was God who is worthy of thanks because of the way that he has dealt with this particular person. You know, We, we praise God. We have a pattern of praise for God because of our own knowledge, our own experience of his goodness. There's a really helpful book on, uh, on forgiveness called Free of Charge. Uh, it's got a little subtitle. Uh, Free of Charge... Giving and forgiving in a culture stripped of grace. I think it's a really biting but apt description of our culture. A culture stripped of grace. If you drive the streets of Sydney and don't take off when the lights change, you know we're a culture stripped of grace. If you don't know how to kind of you know, merge in traffic one for one, it's really quite simple. It's like a zipper. You know? But we... We who have sampled God's grace through Christ in our lives, just like the psalmist, we we get to go into a new subculture. It's the subculture of gratitude, of thankfulness. Uh, In Colossians 4, uh, we're encouraged to have conversations that are full of grace, seasoned with salt. Uh, That is, the way we speak, we who know the kindness of God in our lives is with gratitude and with generosity. That's the pattern of our speech. So, so that, that cynical gossip at the workplace, we undercut because of our gratitude and, and that constant whinging that happens in flat life and family life, we undercut it because, because thanking God is simply the pattern of our lives because we've experienced it. You know, God is worthy of that kind of public thanks and praise at, at every level. But it will require you know, a, a stout heart. It will require a confidence in just how good God is. But the psalmist has it, doesn't he? Let me point you to three reasons that gives him the confidence to to be so publicly thankful. First, he's thankful because God loves loyally. In verse 2, I'll praise your name for your love and faithfulness. His, His faithfulness and love are tied together. It doesn't fail. His love is not intermittent on one time and then off another. No, no, it's always there. Verse 8, his love endures forever. Um, That's actually the refrain of um, two psalms before. If you've got your Bible open, it's on your left-hand page. Um, You you don't need to see the start of Psalm 136, but you can see most of it there. Um, Every second line, you'll notice his love endures forever, his love endures forever, his love endures forever. The way that psalm is structured is the the other lines, the ones that aren't repeated, uh, run through several hundred years of history. You know, so, from when God found his people, took them out of slavery, brought them to the promised land. It's a beautifully effective kind of literary device because what's it doing? It's going, um, at every point of these hundred years, he, hundreds of years, his love endures forever. His love endures forever. At every point, it just keeps being driven home. That is what our God is like. Uh, in, in Isaiah 54, there's this great line, points out that God says, though the mountains be shaken, the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love will for you will not be shaken. That that same kind of unfailing love that never wavered, even in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had the opportunity to run, but he didn't. His love endured forever. Uh, Hanging from the cross, he could have called down an army of angels, and yet he didn't. Steadfast love kept him there. How many times have you failed to love faithfully? I'll narrow it to a week. Lifetime might be too big. I I can't, my maths is fairly limited. (laughs) How many times have you failed to love others with the same kind of devotion and affection and concern as you have for yourself just this week? How many opportunities to do love have just kind of passed you by? How, How many times have you failed to love God with all your mind and with all your heart and with all your strength? I won't ask for your number, but I suspect it's more than one. God's number is zero. He never fails. He is always faithful. We we can publicly thank the Lord, call others to do the same, the gods and kings of this age, because here is one who loves loyally. Another reason? Be thankful. Let it be known, because God regards the lowly. Verse 6, Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. So The wonderful and strange thing God does with all his power is that he ties it with grace, with this uh, you know, offensive generosity. You know, that's what sets him apart from other rulers and powers and gods and kings is, is how he uses his glory. It's not like the way our world uses it. Our world uses greatness uh, as a kind of exclusive company that you can be part of. So you know how great you are because of the kind of people you can associate with and the kind of people who can't associate with you. That's what it is to be great and glorious. You know, Prince William and Kate sent out their wedding invitations, or at least the details were released. They're having a little to do with um, 2,000 of their closest friends and family going along. And I'm willing to bet that all those 2,000 are the greats of this world because that's what we do with worldly power. We hang out with other great people. And that's why, you know, We have dinner parties with social equals. That's why we look forward to being invited around to the barbecue from a CEO or a senior partner. (laughs) Because we want to hang out with peers and we want to get hired. That's what greatness is. But no, no, no. Twist to Psalm 138 is when God, with all his glory, exalted above all others, he looks upon the lowly and the proud far off. Jesus said in Luke 14 at a particular dinner party he was at, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And he went on to say to his host that when you give a, a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbours. If you do, they might invite you back, and you'll get repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor and the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they can't repay you, you know, they're not going to invite you back you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So what's Jesus doing? He, he wants to give this kind of uh, outrageous dinner party advice because he goes on and talks about the exact heavenly feast that he is throwing and the kind of people he invites. You know, the condition of entry to, to his heavenly feast is that you have to be lowly and you have to admit it because the proud he knows from afar. They have no place in his party, at his table. For in all his greatness, he regards the lowly. God doesn't assemble the winners. In 1 Corinthians, he chose the weak to shame the strong. And that might you know, kind of sting a little, might bite a little, might offend a little. You know, God does not call you. He is not interested in you because you've got great credentials or that you have great potential. And if you think that you know, that's why he might want to let you in, well, you're sadly mistaken because God sees the proud from afar. Carl uh, Barth, the uh, theologian, wrote, We dislike hearing that we are saved by grace alone. We don't really appreciate that God does not owe us anything, that we are bound to live from his goodness alone, that we are left with nothing but the great humility of a child with many gifts. To put it bluntly, we do not like to believe. Because yeah, there is an offence, isn't there, of being dependent like that, of being you know, you're being admitting you're one of the low ones. But if you think again to that number that you just added up in your head, the number of times you failed to love rightly, you realise afresh, isn't it wonderful that God cares for the lowly? That he cares for us. Isn't it great he doesn't operate on the same world order and we can tell the kings, no, no, there is someone who is greater. We can be thankful to the one who regards the lowly. The last reason to be confident to declare his praise publicly and be thankful is because he deals personally. In verse 3, when I called, you answered me. Down in verse 7, he talks about how his life was preserved, you know, that God stretched out his arms to preserve him from his foes, that, that God would fulfill his purpose for him, that he wouldn't abandon the works of his hands. You know, the psalmist praises God because God is so intimately involved in his life. He doesn't talk about generalizations about a God who is over there. He talks about what he's already experienced of God being gracious to him. God is the one who hears him and cares for him. Uh, It sets us up beautifully, Psalm 138, for Psalm 139. Many of you know Psalm 139. It starts out just there. You can look. Uh, Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You know goes on, even before we've spoken a word, the Lord knows it completely because he is familiar with all our ways. You know, God knows us personally. Let's be thankful for that. Let it be known. Um, I think our name tags at church are really helpful for that. <clears throat> you know, they're not just quite useful for the fact that we all have bad memories and it's embarrassing you met that person two weeks ago and you forgot. Uh, they say something really helpfully about how we view each other in a way that reflects the way God views us. See, putting a name tag on prevents anyone being anonymous. Name tags stop people just being another number on a seat. Uh, Name tags make church personal. Uh, For no one is just a number to God. No one is anonymous to him. He is familiar with all your ways. In Matthew 10, he knows just how many hairs are on your head. Uh, In Luke 15, there is just a wonderful story that Jesus tells of this um, fairly ridiculous shepherd. Uh, This shepherd has 100 sheep and he loses one. So what does he do? Well, if he was a sensible businessman, um, he'd kind of cut the 1% loss and he'd stick with the 99 share and he'd grow that and in a year's time, he wouldn't have even noticed. Uh, But no, 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 this ridiculous shepherd risks the 99 to go and find the one and when he finds the one, he rejoices over it. You know, that is God who knows us personally. You know, God is a personal God. He deals with us personally. Uh, it's just a wonderful thing when people come uh, to me after, after a, a sermon and they talk about how God was really speaking to them in that moment. You know, that, that the message they need to hear. Because often, I suppose, the, the passages we, we think of looking at are, can be chosen anything up to a year in advance. But, but God acts personally brings it into people's lives uh someone shared with me how they managed to keep up with on, on email with people uh all around the world fairly well uh, it's god prompts them just put someone on their their heart and mind and they follow up you know we heard adam just farewell before god has laid it on his heart faithfully obeying the lord you know at, at another church at this point you know adam speaking about how hardship uh, uh was a tool that god used to, to help him serve others you know this is the God who knows us personally and acts in us. Now, we, we are thankful publicly. It, it is the pattern of our life to be grateful because God deals with each of us personally. Yeah, and that's refreshing when we do it, isn't it? Public gratitude is so refreshing. It's the refreshment that we need. It's the refreshment our world needs. And remember tonight that, that, that our true and living God is worthy of a public praise that should never cease. Why don't we give him thanks now? Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we give you great thanks and praise that you are a gracious, generous and mighty God uh, that with you, with all your power, you consider we who are lowly. That you, with all your glory and power, are personally interested in us. That you, with all the glory and might, choose to love faithfully and loyally. Father, we ask that Uh, You would grip us and make us stout-hearted and bold to be declaring uh, your praise here, to be making it the pattern of our life, to thank you that uh, to the gods and kings of this age we would be presenting your goodness. May the world know just how great and glorious you are. In Jesus' name, amen.